Good morning, HCC. Pastor Brian here from the sanctuary once again for HCC at Home Week 2015. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, our worship team, for always leading us in worship. I say that every week, and I think I'll continue to say it every week. Um, the the time it takes to to do the extra, to do the video, and to get it edited. I think Bo. I think the worship team. I think anyone who's a part of this, because. Guys, it takes more time and effort than it normally does. It is a, uh, a challenging time and a challenging season in our church, but hey, we're making it. We're doing great. You're awesome. HCC is awesome. Love you guys so much. Again, thank you for joining us. I am so excited for today's message. We are continuing in our series called Distracted, and today we will be covering the zealots. So uh, last week we covered the Sadducees and how they were all about power and control and wanted to maintain the control that they had uh, and how we do that in our own lives by, by wanting to be the captain of our own ship and steward our journey instead of really uh, dying to ourselves and following Jesus. And then two weeks ago we talked about the Pharisees that, that built the, the hedge of protection around the law and just got so focused on what was external and forgot to focus on their heart. And so uh, today we're talking about the zealots and we'll learn all about them. I'm super excited. It's a group, not a ton is known about them, but what we do know is really important. And so as always, I'm gonna pray first, uh, settle my heart, settle your heart as we uh, dive into God's word. And it's, as always, HCC, it's a pleasure of mine. Uh, it's a joy of my life to be able to do this uh, each and every week for you guys. Um, and so if you'll join me with prayer. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that again we are gathered in your name, that we are gathered for your purpose, for your kingdom, uh, to learn more about you. And in that learning more about you and from your word, we learn about us in our hearts and in our lives. And, and God, I pray that we're willing to be challenged. I pray that we're willing to be um, that we're willing to, we are willing to wrestle with scripture. That we're willing to wrestle with truth. Um, and God, give me the words to say this morning that uh, articulate what you've placed in my heart, what you've uh, shown me through scripture, what you've shown me in studying. God, as always, I ask for your words, not mine. God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to be molded. Give us feet that are ready to be moved to action. And God, as always, anything that I say that's for me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone leaves, not leaves this room, but turns off this video. And God, everything that's from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I got a little ahead of myself. I said, in the room, we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. We're getting close, okay? But we're not quite there yet. We're still on video. And so again, apologize. I got ahead of myself. So um, who are the zealots? That's the question of the day. Um, they were a political movement among the Jewish population uh, at the time of Jesus. And their whole goal, the purpose for why they existed was to overthrow the occupying Roman government. Um, they had no issue using violence. They had no issue um, using whatever means necessary to find times and to find ways to do whatever they could to expel the Roman occupation. The historian Josephus, uh, I've mentioned him a couple times in different messages over the last couple weeks. He says that the zealots started in, in the year 6 AD 
by a man named Judas of Galilee. Now, that's not Judas Iscariot. We'll talk a little bit about him later. Um, but it was started by Judas of Galilee. And Judas of Galilee um, hated the Romans, hated the occupation, and was very much focused on the Jews being back in control of the promised land. That they were God's people. No one else would ever be God's people. No one else should ever hold God's promised land. It was theirs. And he uh, kind of riled up a group. And um, one of his big claims to fame is that he really attempted to get the Jews to do everything they could, both big and small, to be antagonistic against Rome. So he called all Jews cowards who paid any taxes to Rome. He said that if a Jewish man paid any sort of taxes to Rome, he was a coward. Um, they, they're, they're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their theory, not their theory, theology, theology. Their theology matched very much the Pharisees. Um, their doctrine matched very much the Pharisees. Uh, they were very much about living the right life and doing the right things in every situation, but they also threw in this idea that we should be opposed to Rome as well. Uh, the biggest difference is that the uh, zealots really put a huge focus that the, that the Messiah, the coming of the Lord, the Messiah that would come would absolutely 100% rule right then. The idea of a future kingdom that Jesus was speaking of was just very foreign to a zealot. And that's really interesting because we know very well that Jesus had um, zealots in his disciples and a lot of zealots that followed him. We'll see that in just a minute. Um, tell you the end of the zealots, they only lasted uh, 65, 70 years depending on which historian you read. They were the ones that really led the military revolt to the rebellion in 66 AD, the final Jewish rebellion that happened. Um, and that led to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And once the temple was destroyed, there was a small group of zealots in Masada that held out until 72 AD, but eventually they were crushed as well and the zealots died away. But like I said, it's really interesting that uh, Jesus clearly was not afraid of the zealots. Jesus was clearly not worried about their theology or their practices because if you turn to Matthew 10, uh, verse 4, if you want to, it's really quick. It's not really a profound scripture. It's more of uh, just information. Uh, but it says that uh, he, this is talking about Jesus picking his disciples and calling people to follow him. And it says very clearly that there was Simon the Zealot. That was his title. Everyone knew that this was Simon. Simon probably then carried a sword with him at all times. Um, now there's also discussion that Judas Iscariot was also a fringe member of the Zealots. There was a group within the Zealots that were even more intense, that were even more uh, antagonistic. Um, they'd almost uh, be like a, a terrorist almost to Rome. Um, and they were called the Sakari. The Sakari were, uh, tr rough translation is dagger men. They would always have a dagger, they'd have their sword, but they'd also have a dagger for any time that someone needed to be executed. Again, this is, <laughs> this is what they were dealing with. This is what Jesus was dealing with. Um, but I, I, we know for sure that Simon was a zealot. There are some people that believe that Judas was as well. Now, if you turn to Matthew 26, you're going to see that there was another one of his followers uh, that was probably a zealot as well. 
Now, this is one that's debated hotly, but I wanted to throw it out there for you so that you could see that there was a potential that even up to a quarter of the first followers of Jesus were these zealots. And I think, I think you can see that Jesus wasn't concerned then. If he was willing to include these men into those, follow, into those that were following him first, he didn't have an issue. He didn't have an issue with their excitement or their zeal. He knew that it was better to uh, temper their zeal than it was to motivate someone who had none. I've heard the, the old expression, it's, it's much better to try and harness a colt than motivate a donkey. And I think that's what Jesus noticed as well. And if we go to Matthew 26, 51, you see this is speaking of Peter um, at the arrest of Jesus. And it says, and behold, one of, the, whoa, one of those, if I could talk today, who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, the, the, there's a lot of historians, a lot of theologians who are believing that the reason that Peter was carrying his sword is because he was a zealot. Uh, swords were not commonplace in the day. You didn't see, um, you saw some Roman soldiers maybe carrying around a sword, but no Jewish man would have had any reason to carry around a sword essentially unless they were a zealot. And so there's this idea that uh, Jesus, not Jesus, Peter was a zealot because he had a sword at this time. Now the other person in scripture that we know was a zealot um, is found in John 18, 40. And you don't have to turn there. Uh, it's a story about the uh, arrest and trial of Jesus. And um, they're trying to say um, the, 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 the leader had a tradition of releasing one prisoner. And so he put Barabbas on one side and he put Jesus on the other and said, which do you want me to release? And the crowd again, cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber, and most of you in your Bibles, if you're there, have a, a little letter that takes you to the bottom that tells you that the word robber also means the word insurrectionist. Historians, every historian I've read, every theologian I've read said that uh, Barabbas was a zealot and that he was imprisoned for trying to overthrow Rome, which makes it even more astounding that, um, that the leader would uh, have offered him as a return of a criminal because he was a criminal who was trying to overthrow Rome. So those were the zealots, but the thing you need to know most about the zealots is they were always looking for a fight. The zealots were very uh, aggressive, very uh, quick-tempered, uh, and I thought it would be interesting, and maybe some of you saw it on social media. I put out a question, what is the church against? What is the church against? And I, I, I really found some really funny ones. Um, this next slide you'll see, these are all the ones, excuse me, all the ones, all the responses that had multiple responses that more than one person commented that these were the things the church is against. The church is against provocative clothing, homosexuality, divorce, drinking, gambling, smoking, females in ministry, and, and in fact it was really females in general was a, a, a thing that was listed. Uh, hair, not just the having of hair, because then I'd be totally fine, but it was that women shouldn't have short hair and men shouldn't have long hair and your hair shouldn't be green, blue, pink, or any other non-natural color. Uh, the one I loved, it's against dancing, that the church is against dancing because dancing leads to sex and we can't have that. Um, living together before marriage, cussing, uh, being unequally yoked, that's something we're going to talk quite a bit about next week. Tattoos, piercing, drugs, abortion, secular music, and anything scary. Those were the things that when I asked, this came from both people who've grown up in the church and people from outside the church. But here's the ones that I thought were really funny. And I'll just read these to you. I thought these were hilarious. Um, so things that we've been against as a church. Harry Potter, 
Pokemon, drums, Disney, science, public schools, immigrants, that's a little not so funny, against the military, also not quite as funny, women working outside the home, doing anything on Sunday, uh, cabbage patch dolls, I didn't know that they were demonic, but maybe they are, Barbie, I understand that one, and tomboys, that we're against all of these things, and this is what I want us to understand in pointing this out, is that in a lot of ways, we are seen very much like the zealots, that we want to just fight against something. And guys, I'm going to be honest, if uh, I don't tend to find myself much in the Pharisees, I don't tend to find myself totally in the Sadducees, but boy howdy do I find myself in the Zealots a lot of times. I love a good debate, I love a good argument, I love a heated, passionate discussion, and I never take offense to those things. Um, And so I find myself a lot in the Zealots, and I find that the church is, whether uh, appropriately or not, seen as being against so many things. Now the Bible does tell us that we do have multiple enemies. And we're gonna look at these three um, and we're gonna look at, at why we're very much focused on one and not focused on another and completely not focused on the third at all, even though it's the most important. And so the first one, so our three enemies, the first one that uh, I wanna focus on is the world. Um, the, the world is, according to scripture, our enemy. Now we've gotta be careful though. We've gotta be careful because when we start talking about the world, that can be defined as a lot of different things. That can be defined as so many different things, but I wanna make sure that we understand what scripture is talking about when it talks about the world. It's talking about the world system. It's not talking about the people. Now we're gonna look at a verse here in a minute that shows us that, but when scripture talks about uh, that being friends with the world is making yourself an enemy of God, it's not talking about people. It's not talking about making a friend of a sinner makes you an enemy of God. It's not what it's saying. What the Bible is saying in that moment is that when you become a friend, when you come, when you really enjoy, when you like and you connect yourself to the world system, the selfish, me first, um, out to get whatever I want, gotta compete with the Joneses, gotta be better than everyone else, gotta succeed, gotta do it all at the same time. I gotta work, I gotta grind. When you attach yourself to that system, that makes you an enemy of God because you're, like we said last week, now just essentially your own Lord by leading your own life instead of letting God lead you. But I want to show you that it cannot be talking about the people. Because in John 3, 16 and 17, and if you, um, you know, most Christians will have this memorized because like everyone has it memorized. I think like 80% of the world's population probably has John three sixteen memorized. Um, but go ahead and turn there. I'm actually going to be reading from the Passion Translation. Uh, I really, really love how John is interpreted in the Passion Translation. And in John 3, 16 and 17, starting in verse 16, it says, for this is how much God loved the world. Now, we have to pause there because, well, wait, 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 Brian, didn't you just say that we're not supposed to love the world? In fact, it's one of our enemies. Here, this word world is translated is a Greek word that is talking about the people. That's where we gotta be careful and we've gotta really look at it. The world, again, can be defined by multiple different things. And so here, not Paul, John is speaking of the people of the world. For this is how much God loved the people of the world, that he gave his one and only unique son as a gift. 
So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. On to verse 17. God did not send his son into the world, to the people, to judge and condemn them, but to be its savior and rescue it. So we understand that when we are battling, when we're being the zealots and we're fighting against the world, we're not fighting against the people. We're fighting against the system. We're fighting against what is going on in a bigger picture. But the truth is we tend to put our energy there in fighting the world because we're not a huge fan of fighting our second enemy, which is our flesh. This one is much less uh, exciting because if we want to get, I think if we want to get the church excited, we talk about something that's going on in the world and we talk about an injustice that's going on in the world and we talk about something that's not right in the world and we talk about something we're against in the world and you're going to get a lot of Christians fired up. If I gave a message about how you need to war against your flesh and defeat your flesh, we might go, yes, God, I just don't want to do that. That's really hard. That takes a lot of effort and energy. But it's one of our enemies. And what happens, I think, is that we don't focus very much on our own flesh because, again, that's really hard. We tend to focus on their flesh, on the world's flesh, and we forget that in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? What business of it of mine what an outsider does? Our job is to join with the Holy Spirit and to allow him to show the dark spots in our heart. Our job as followers of Jesus, when we are wanting to fight against something, my prayer is that we begin to fight against our own flesh, that we decide that I'm not gonna fight externally, I'm gonna fight internally. And that's been my struggle for the last, since I knew this message was coming, is that God has been wrestling with me about my own flesh and showing me where there's so much darkness still in my heart, even in areas where I'm super passionate and I'm super um, outgoing and expressive about when I sit with God and I allow him to show me what's dark in me when I battle against my flesh, it, it, it's embarrassing sometimes how much darkness is still inside of me. And we continue in John 3, looking at verses 18 and 19. Hopefully you're still there so we can go quickly. He says, so now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. Thank you. That as I'm wrestling with my flesh, as I'm being sometimes defeated by my flesh, when I'm not being the man who God created me to be, when I'm not being the pastor that God created me to be, when I'm not being the husband and the father and the friend that God has created me to be, there is no condemnation for me. And that gives me so much hope that I can continue to fight, that I can continue to be a zealot and overthrow my flesh and follow the spirit of God. But John continues, but the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. I want to stop there for a second. That, that should break our hearts. Because we have to remember just a couple verses ago, John said that God loved the people of the world so much that he sent his one and only precious gift, his very own son, and he sent him not to judge them, but to die for them so they can be reconciled, to be made right with their God again. And sometimes I don't, I don't think the world 
sees that this breaks our heart. I don't think the world recognizes that, that their unbelief, their, their lack of understanding of who Jesus is, that it breaks our heart. I don't think they get that. And part of it's because we've spent so much time battling the world that they think we're against them. And not against the system, but against them personally. Because somehow in Christianity, we've been unable to separate this idea that I can disagree with what you're doing, but not be against you. We've bought into this. You see this all throughout our world and you see it in our politics, you see it in sports, you see it in everything that if I, so if I dislike the Yankees, therefore I hate everyone that's on the Yankees. No, I might very much like someone that's on the Yankees, but I don't like the team because they win all the time and I don't like that because my team doesn't win all the time and I get a little jealous. But that's why what we do that everywhere. We've come to this conclusion that if, that if I disagree with what you're doing or, or how you're doing it, that I disagree with you as a human being and we've got to begin to articulate and spell out clearly for everyone who's willing to listen, I disagree with that action, but I love you as a human being, as a person made in the image of God. I love you so much and it breaks my heart that you are living under condemnation. And this is where it's interesting. Ready? Ready? Do you, do you see why they're living under condemnation? Because they do not believe. It's not their actions that are condemning them at that moment. Catch that. I, we've got to catch that. This was like, blew my mind. It's not their actions that are condemning them. It's not the external things that we fight against just like the Pharisees because the zealots were fighting and we do the same thing but we're also a little like the Pharisees and we want to fight against everything we can see instead of fighting for the heart of the people because it's their unbelief that is leading them to condemnation, not their actions. And he continues, and here is the basis for their judgment. The light of God has now come into the world but the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. Now here's where it was a giant Jesus punch to my stomach this week. I believe in God with my whole heart. I love Jesus with everything that's inside of me. He has changed my life. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So often I love the darkness more than I love the light. And I want that darkness to conceal my evil. I want no one to know. I want no one to see that I still struggle with certain things and I have ideas and, and preconceived notions that, that when something happens, I immediately jump into that and then just disgust myself because that's where I am. I feel like I should be so much farther. But what I'm not doing is I'm, I'm, I'm hiding those things. Anything that's hidden cannot be dealt with. Jesus works in the light. What we have to do is take all the things that God exposes in our heart, all the broken and the nasty and the ugly and the vile and the repulsive, and we have to bring it to the light and say, God, I'm so sorry. This is still inside of me. I love you so much, but this is my flesh. Help me win. Help me defeat all of this ugly. Like I said, that's really hard. 
And so what we do is we push that all back down. And at least for me, I cover that with sarcasm. I cover that with looking good. Not like physically looking good. I should probably get in the gym every now and then. But I, when I say looking good, I mean like outwardly, like I'm super Christian and I pray all the time and I've got great kids and I love my kids all the time and I never yell at them and I never do anything wrong. I put forth that because I just want to conceal my flesh. And I think all of us could take a collective deep breath if just for once we could all be like, I am a train wreck. Now look over here, like God has done so much for me here and I've moved and I've progressed and God has done great things, but this is that vile gross that's still inside of me. But if you're anything like me, someone points a finger at that, I'm the zealot and I'm gonna cut your ear off. (laughs) You, You come after my ugly, my disgusting, and I wanna cut your ear off just like Peter did. Instead of taking a minute to go, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you brought someone into my life who loves me enough to point out the darkness that has not been shown to the light yet. Because then we can all walk around breathing pretty deep, being able to relax a little bit if we'd all stop pretending that we're not constantly battling the flesh. But the one place that we need to be fighting, that we actually need to be the zealots and attempt to really overthrow, but gets zero playtime, has very little lines within church in the United States, is the devil, is our adversary, is Satan, whatever title you want to give him. The enemy is what we fight against. Both when I'm fighting my flesh, what I'm actually doing is fighting me wanting to join the enemy in what he's doing. That's what happens when I am agreeing with the spirit. I am combining my life with the spirit of God to defeat my flesh. But too often, I think just like you, I leave my junk in the darkness and that just connects with the enemy. And then if you're like me, I begin to blame the world that somehow it's their fault. That somehow the world has convinced my flesh to join with Satan. Reality, I made that choice. The Bible tells us that you'll not be tempted by anything that you can't handle. I hate that verse. (laughs) Because then if I sin, it's my own fault. God has given me an off-ramp. I just punched the the gas pedal to the floor and went 110 miles an hour right into that sin when he gave me off-ramp, 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 crash. I hate that because I am joining with the devil in what he's trying to accomplish in our world when I stop fighting against him. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, go ahead and turn there for me. We're gonna be in Ephesians and we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians. So if like you get to 2 Corinthians, as you're turning to Ephesians, go ahead and put your finger there and we'll come back to it. Ephesians 6, 12. Ephesians 6, 12. Now, Ephesians 6 is super cool. If you've never read Ephesians, you should. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, it's like really great ways to be just a better human being (laughs) found in Ephesians. But Ephesians 6 is talking all about spiritual warfare. And I know that kind of bugs some people out and weirds some people out. Like, it's not like, you know, I don't think they're just like floating around. I don't know how it works. But there is a definite enemy. There are definite angels and they're they're in a battle. There's a cosmic battle that is going on in a realm that we cannot see and totally can't experience. But 
the enemy loves to go to war with us and Paul tells the church of Ephesus and is telling us today, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You do not wrestle against people. Stop. But against the rulers. And that, pause, that's not the government, okay? It's not what he's talking about. He's not agreeing with the zealots. Like, you need to fight against the rulers. You need to fight against Rome. You need to overthrow them. No, 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 no. Read Romans 13. Paul is very much for obeying the government, praying for those that are in leadership, but he's talking about the spirits, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. What is happening in our world right now is demonic. What am I talking about? All of it. <laughs> Everything that's going on in our world that is negative, that is anti-God, that is anti-Bible, that is anti-Christianity, which is anti-Jesus, is the devil. And how many times do you and I just join in with him instead of wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? And I love that it uses the phrase wrestle because wrestle is close and hand to hand and you gotta get into it. You cannot passively sit by and wrestle against the enemy. This is not a spectator sport because here's the deal. <laughs> just imagine you versus this really big, buff, strong wrestler guy, okay? You say we're not wrestling. He says we are. What's gonna happen? Just, I want you to picture it in your brain. I'm not gonna wrestle. It's like my, my uh, sister-in-law, when she was younger, she would just become the rock. Like whenever her, her brother Ross wanted to wrestle her, she didn't wanna wrestle, so she'd just become the rock. And she just fall into a ball. Now, they didn't stop Ross from wrestling her. They didn't stop Ross from tormenting her. And that's what happens. And I see so many Christians either denying that the enemy exists, denying that he has any real power, or just, I, I don't know what the third option is, but you're not doing anything. You're just getting beat up, laying there going, I'm not wrestling. You need to wake up and start wrestling because what we've done is, is we don't fight against the devil. We get frustrated fighting against our flesh because we're trying to do it out of our own will, out of our own abilities, instead of combining ourselves with the Holy Spirit. And we are fighting against the world. And when we're fighting against the world, we're not fighting against the, the devil in the world, we're fighting against the people of the world. When Paul says specifically, stop, stop fighting against people. Jesus is for people. We have to stop being against people. We're against the enemy. We're against what the enemy is doing in the lives of people. We're against what the enemy is doing in our lives, and that's why we join with the Spirit instead of joining with our flesh. Second Corinthians, hopefully you had your finger there. Sorry, I'm really excited, and I really love this message because I think it's so helpful for us to recognize that we're fighting the wrong battle. It's like we're fighting over here with some little nonsense instead of realizing that the big battle is over here to be won. And, and how do we know we can win it? 2 Corinthians 10. Again, Paul, writer of about uh, three quarters of the New Testament, to the church of Corinth, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Whew. I'm going to say that again. That's good. It has divine power power the power of god is our weapon to destroy strongholds strongholds are those places in your brain where you've got I, i've heard uh older pastors and, and older uh believers calling it stinking thinking and i love that because it's so accurate we've got this place in our brain that's a stronghold of the enemy because we've allowed uh 
unbiblical thought, unbiblical assumptions, uh, preconceived notions and biases to live, and then we start defending them because, ooh, I'm with you, I hate being wrong. (laughs) Being wrong is the worst. And that's why I'll fight with my wife until she just gives up. She knows I'm wrong, but she just quits because I hate being wrong. Love you, my love. Um, And so, uh, but what we do is we make a stronghold out of it and the enemy comes and he encamps on it. And he just keeps using that and we filter all the things through these strongholds. But Paul tells us that we can destroy those arguments. We can destroy those arguments and and the challenge is for many of us, those arguments came from well-meaning people. But if we go back to all the things that we fought against, many of those were sin, okay? Don't get, I'm not, I'm not saying, but some of those are just nonsense. <laughs> some of those are just things that we, that someone, I'm sure some radio guy said that this is what God showed him and so we bought into it and then we stopped buying Cabbage Patch dolls apparently. So like I understand that we're trying to do things to protect our people, but what happens is then we create strongholds in our mind and we create arguments in our mind that we're arguing about things that just don't matter instead of arguing for the souls of people who are living in condemnation, not because of their actions, but because of their unbelief. And it's really hard to believe something that you don't agree with. And so we're not fighting against their actions. We're fighting against what the enemy is doing in their arguments because they've got lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. This is our battle. This is our battle in our world right now. And it's been the battle since Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna go back home because gross. I'm gonna go back home to heaven to be with God, but I'm gonna leave you here and I'm leaving you here with a purpose. And that purpose is to go and tell everyone that you ever meet how awesome Jesus is. And not that he came to condemn you because of your actions. We've got to understand that anyone who does not believe in Jesus should be expected to do unbiblical things. It is very difficult for us who are filled, literally, Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit for us to do what God wants us to do. Why would we ever expect the world or anyone of the world to do anything moral or anything upright or anything godly? It's like the, it's like the clock that's right twice in a day. That like if a, We've got to understand that. And we've got to stop putting our morality on the world. It doesn't fit. And what we're after is their heart. We've got to stop battling against the action and start fighting for the heart. Start, stop fighting the person and start fighting the enemy for their soul. Because every single one of us, I hope, I hope every single person that's listening to me knows someone and is close to someone who doesn't believe. Because if you're not close to someone who doesn't believe, you need more friends. You need to expand your zone. You need to expand your friend zone to include people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, who don't look like you, who don't believe like you. Because then we can start destroying strongholds. And we're not doing it because they're so wrong. We're doing it because we're passionately in love with that human being. And we want nothing more for them to know how great God's love is. 
and how great his mercy is and how great being a part of a church family is. It's the greatest thing in the world. But we don't do ourselves any help by fighting against people. We fight against ideas. We fight against wrong thinking. We fight against our own flesh so that when we actually go out into the world, we're not just giant walking hypocrites. Now don't get me wrong, we're all a level of hypocrisy, but let's just not be blatant. Let's just not, in the, the verse, and it's one that's quoted all the time, and I've said it like 15 times today, I think. I cannot look at the speck in someone else's eye when I've got a log in my own. That comes with battling your flesh, joining with the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not your own will. It's not your own gumption. It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm gonna wake up this morning. I'm just gonna be a better Christian. That doesn't happen. You wake up in the morning and you submit yourself. You follow instead of lead like we talked about with the Sadducees. You follow the Holy Spirit and do what he is asking you to do. And as you do that, he will expose the darkness that's inside of you to the light and you can repent and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's just not who I want to be. That's not who God created me to be. I give that up. And then we go into the world, we recognize we're not battling against the person. We're battling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. But just like the zealots, we have gotten distracted. We have taken our war We've made it about activities and actions and about so many things. Real quick. Jesus caught a woman, not Jesus caught, a group of men caught a woman in the act of adultery. You can assume what it means by the act of adultery. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Um, They brought that woman to Jesus. Assuming We know what the act of adultery means. She probably wasn't fully clothed. She was probably trying to cover herself and she was surrounded by these men who wanted to kill her because of her action. Jesus challenged the crowd. He who is without sin, if you have no sin, if you've never looked at a woman with lust, if you've never done that in your life, go ahead and kill her. And every single one of those men walked away. And Jesus knelt down beside that broken, hurting person. After just defeating the system, the world, that wanted to condemn her. And he said, who condemns you? She said, no one. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Not go and sin no more because something worse is gonna happen to you. Go and sin no more because that's no longer who you are. When you say yes to Jesus, you become a new creation. I've said this multiple times. On April 8th, 2001, I came into this building as one person. I met Jesus and left a different person who now takes the darkness of my heart and no longer looks at it and goes, ah, that's just who I am and puts it back. 
but I see the darkness of my heart and I want to expose it to the light of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God and go, God, this is not who you want me to be. This is not who you've created me to be and I'm going to fight against the enemy who wants to make me believe that is all I will ever be because that's condemnation. That's condemnation. We fight against the enemy. We fight against the devil. We fight against our own flesh. We fight against the world system. Please hear me, HCC, and anyone else who's listening. Actually, for anyone else who's listening, if I, as, as a pastor, if I, as a person, if I've ever made you feel like I'm fighting against you, I ask for your forgiveness right now. I repent and I ask for your forgiveness. If I ever felt like I was coming after you, I, I ask for forgiveness. I was coming after the lofty idea. I was coming after the flesh. I was coming after the devil. But if it felt like I came after you, I'm sorry, I need to be better at that. To anyone who's listening and felt like the church has come after you, we're sorry. We're not good at this. We have to expose that darkness in our heart and recognize, oh, I'm fighting against that person. I'm not fighting against the enemy. I'm not fighting against the world. I'm fighting against you and forgive us. We want to do better. Because whether it looks like it or not, every single person I know who said yes to Jesus cares very much about who you are and your walk with Jesus, and, and you meeting Jesus, and you falling in love with Jesus, and recognizing how great he is, we all very much care about that. We're just not great at expressing it sometimes. Just like the zealots, we get caught up fighting the wrong thing. Jesus wasn't opposed to the zealots' zeal. He used it for his good. Jesus is not concerned with the darkness that you bring forward. What he's concerned, are you ready to give it up or do you want to put it back? Battle your flesh. Battle the enemy. Join with God in what he's doing and let's stop being so distracted. Let me pray. Father God, you are so, so good. Thank you that you have shown us in scripture, shown us in your word, that we can actually and truly defeat sin. But we have to fight the right places and fight the right things. And God, forgive us because we don't always do that well. We don't always join you in what you're doing. Uh, just like the Sadducees, we wanna lead and we wanna fight where we wanna fight instead of seeing what you're fighting against and what breaks your heart and what you're passionate about and, and just joining you there. God, help us to stop fighting people and start fighting the world's system. It's an enemy of ours. We, we're, we're tempted by it. We're distracted by it. We want to join into it because there's pleasure there, but it's momentary pleasure. It's not lasting. So God, help us to fight against joining the world, but still loving the people. God, help us to fight our own flesh. Help us to stop uh, passively just going through life, but really examining our heart and examining our souls and examining who we are and comparing that to scripture and say, oh man, God, this just doesn't match, help me. But God, most importantly today, I think that we miss that our ultimate fight is against the enemy. That our own flesh wants to join him, the world joins him, that that's really what we're fighting against and let us not be so offended by people and start be offended by what the enemy is doing with those people. Let it break our hearts to see what the enemy is doing in our world, what the enemy is doing in our church, what the enemy is doing in our own lives. God, help us win these battles because you're good. 
God, we love you. Help us to love others better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, HCC, for tuning in. Hope that you were blessed. Hope that you had a great time.